Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Good. So welcome to our next Market Access podcast episode. Together with our good friend, Paul-Lukas Hofschmidt, you are a specialist, I would say, for the US, even though that you are, I think, located in Germany. So maybe, Paul-Lukas, maybe just quickly introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you're really doing. Yeah, first of all, thanks, Stefan, for having me on the pod today. So my name is Paul, and uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Alpha Sophia, and we are a commercial intelligence software and data company. Uh, and as you mentioned, we are currently specialized and mainly focused on the U.S. healthcare market. That being said, our clients are basically located all over the world. So everyone who's looking to go towards the U.S. Uh, try to commercialize there in the medtech, pharma, biotech, health tech sector could be a potential uh, partner of our company, uh, and we usually help them to be uh, more efficient, more targeted in their go-to-market approach when it comes to developing and steering comprehensive marketing campaigns, especially towards healthcare providers, but also uh, yeah, along the, the value chain of adjacent go-to-market steps. Perfect. I think that was uh, quite crisp. And I think it shows already, let's see, where you are coming from. So I, I, I guess maybe we start a bit, let's say, before going, I think you mentioned already a bit, go-to-market, commercialization, success, et cetera, which is probably on one end of the side. So maybe we start a bit earlier. And sure. what is your opinion? I mean, how, how would and could HCPs, clinicians, healthcare professionals, influence maybe the commercial success of new healthcare products? Obviously, we focus on the US today. So what are the kind of drivers why, obviously, you would think, it would make sense, for example, to collaborate with you. But just in general, I mean, if, for example, a startup is coming up with a great idea and just start thinking about going to the market. I, I think it's a great question. I think when it comes to innovation in general, so developing new products, but also then uh, commercial success later on the road. And what does commercial success mean? It actually only means bringing the innovation actually out to the end users, to the patients and bring it into implementation. I think it's always a great start to think backwards, to basically start with the patient who has an indication and then go backwards towards uh, ultimately the, the developer of, of a new medical device or, or, or pharmaceutical solution. And when you go backwards, of course, so the first natural step is the clinician, the practitioner, who's in direct contact with that patient and is taking care of their of their uh, of their care journey so ultimately the clinician of course plays the most central role when it comes to yeah making making a new medical innovation success and then that can have multiple play forms right it's not only the the, the 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 clinician being the person who's the ultimate let's call it, call it customer of, of a medical innovation 
uh, the, the person who implements it in therapy, uh, but also quite often clinicians are innovators on their own. Yeah? They're in so, in so close contact uh, to, to patients, especially medical device, that many innovations in the medical device and medtech industry actually, actually originate from clinicians who have seen something in their day-to-day -day practice and then partner up uh, with medical device teams to bring to bring something new out and develop something new. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. I, you mentioned already, let's say, clinicians are basically kind of innovators themselves, especially in the medtech area. I fully agree. I mean, when we think about, let's say, even still a bit broadly, you also mentioned pharma, so pharma and medtech. I mean, I personally also think that obviously it would make sense to also involve clinicians really even early on in the process when such innovations are maybe just in the early stages of development. Uh, I think for pharma, I think that's quite standard. What do you think is, or should maybe be done when having a medtech product, especially in those early days? Yeah, I think I, I mean, what we see quite often, and I think that's best practice, that um, medical device companies really early on, either they already have a clinician co-founder who's, uh, who's an innovator, who's the inventor maybe herself. Uh, but uh, if that's not the case, uh, I think it's just a best practice to, to have a medical advisory board uh, right from the beginning uh, with clinicians who could be end users of the product to, to have the feedback loop. Uh, from 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 the pre from practice quite early on and uh, and do that. I think especially in medical device, it's it actually occurs more often that innovations are coming from clinicians as well. Whereas in, in pharma, yeah, where where the innovation is more done in a lab, it's it's more usually coming from a research background uh, or from a pure lab background being conducted at a commercial company. Especially in medical device, when we think, for example, about I don't know, let's say let's make a case about orthopedics. For example, you have an orthopedic surgeon who is performing a certain type of procedure teacher a lot of times maybe i don't know he's doing 100 200 total knees per year this person is so uh, knowledgeable about those procedures maybe has tried several different implant products uh, over the course of the last years has seen the advantages and disadvantages has seen the complication that it can occur in certain um, uh, derivative indications and so on and then can of course be a really good source for for ideas for for brainstorming and then ultimately for innovation when it comes to improving existing products or developing a new device or new uh, technique uh, um, uh, to, to actually deliver uh, that therapy to a, to, a, to a patient. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes sense. I think you mentioned also ad board or other kind of techniques, if I want to call it like that. I mean, when thinking about the US, I mean, the US is obviously huge. I mean, it's so big. I mean, it's basically various countries in one big country right so yeah well, one statistic which really always breaks my mind um if you would say the the u.s market if the u.s healthcare market would be an economy it would be the, the third largest economy in the world just exactly. just just larger than germany so the whole u.s healthcare market is bigger than the whole german economy including i don't know everything we do here including, including driving cars and uh, having a beer exactly. in the afternoon yeah that's so that, that that's uh, quite insane and, and that also explains the focus all medical device and pharma companies have on the yeah. on the s market uh, also given that I don't know, the S market maybe is 40% of the world healthcare market, but then because margins are uh, slight, uh, are bigger, it, it, I mean, people always say it's something like 60% of all profits in medtech and pharma in the world are being generated in the US. So of course, it's Champions League to, to win that market and and have a, uh, have a, have a strong uh, positioning in that market early on. Exactly. No, no, I, I, I fully agree. I think, I mean, when you speak about Champions League, it's always the question, I mean, how, how to select the right 
let's say team members, right? And and I mean, what is your secret? I mean, I know that you have that kind of great database with a lot of different parameters or correlated variables. I mean, what, what is the kind of secret to select the right kind of, let's say, pool of physicians if I'm a startup company or whatever kind of company, but I want a need to move over obviously to the US for the reasons you just mentioned? Yeah, maybe I start uh, one step further by just giving a two, few sentences mm -hmm. about what the platform is we've actually built. So sure. our company, AlphaSophia, our platform, uh, and you can check it out on alphasophia.com. It's basically a software platform solution, uh, which feels a little bit like using LinkedIn or Facebook or any other social network, uh, just with the difference that we don't have users on there, but just a lot of data on all the healthcare providers on DS. Uh, and what we did, we we've data on, on almost 3 million healthcare providers in the US, and we make that pool of providers uh, sliceable and diceable along multiple dimensions. Yeah, So you can do stuff like, okay, show me all orthopedic surgeons uh, who perform a certain amount of, um, I don't know, uh, hip replacements per year uh, for in the oncology uh, subspace um, who are located in Texas who in the past have never cooperated with one of your competitors, let's say, I don't know, Striker, for example, and um, who are on, actively uh, on LinkedIn so that you uh, might be able to run a marketing campaign towards them on LinkedIn, for example. Yeah? And then bang, you end up with that really small and tiny subset of providers drilled down from the 3 million, maybe to only 200, and then you can target them in a really precise manner. Yeah? And that, that helps medical device companies when they when they roll out their products to really focus on those providers who could be early adopters in the beginning or could be uh, key opinion leaders to, to, to spread the word about their product. Or then later on, the ones who have higher volumes maybe and then bring that out into the masses. So that's what we've built. Uh, and we uh, we work with uh, dozens of, of, um, of uh, medical device companies um, uh, now uh, in the world uh, helping them in their commercial journeys. And um, uh, to, to come back to your questions, who to select, yeah, what are the, the ideal providers? I think, I, I mean, I, I touched that a little bit in my answer previously, but it really depends on the stage. Mm -hmm. yeah, so you might be you might be pre-commercial. So you might be actually using a platform like ours and or data in general yeah, and for, um, to, to find uh, providers who can be sources of inspiration, early feedback givers for prototypes. Uh, you might use it at a later stage to do your recruiting for clinical studies. Uh, to con to find the right providers with the right patient cohorts behind them to conduct your clinical studies. And then later on, uh, when you actually get a regulatory approval, hit the market, you want to find those first early adapters who are more prone to using innovation early on uh, and, and trying out new products. And then later on, you, you want to... Uh, um, across the chasm, as as they say, and 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 break into the mass market and and uh, and bring it out to everyone. So to answer your question, it really depends on the on the stage. And uh, the beauty of data is uh, either there are data points which directly point you to the right people. Yeah? So you might find if you're just looking for the ones who are the top billers, then you can use our platform to find the ones who are performing a certain procedure the most amount of times, for example. Yeah? Or you're looking for more innovative people. So you might use proxies like have they engaged in uh, have they engaged using innovative products in the past? Are they at uh, at research institutions which are uh, associated with uh, a certain discipline, a certain therapeutic area, and so on. So there are either data points which directly direct you in a, in a direction, or they could also be proxies. Yeah. So you might one example, which is always fun, for some of our platform, you can search for providers who are, who are doing telehealth. 
And then some people ask me, oh, I'm not selling a telehealth solution. Why do I care about that? And then I'm saying, yeah, that's true. But the people who register for telehealth are probably in general at the moment more innovative than the ones who don't. So even if you're selling something else, those might still be a great uh, first people to speak to, 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 uh, to convince them to give your product a try because you're still the underdog, unknown. You haven't proven that your product is actually uh, working consistently. So maybe go out to them and have a bit, they have a bit higher chance of actually convincing them. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, I think that's a, it's, it's a very good example. I think with that kind of proxy, fully agree with that. So, I mean, if, if I get you correct, I mean, that kind of information can always be used, let's say, from the early stages, obviously helping, let's say, getting the, the product to the market for pharma product, maybe rather kind of advisory board or expert kind of, uh, let's say, table down to the clinical trials. The same with MedTech, obviously, even with some further input into the let's say, design of the product itself down to the point of preparing commercialization, but also later on probably for distribution planning and, and the like, right? I mean, key account management and so on. Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, especially in later stages, um, customers will use our platform quite often to just do pipeline estimations. Yeah, um, In which territories do we, we have which amounts of procedures? So uh, how do I how do I cut my territories so that they are not equal in 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 uh, geographic size but equal in opportunity size? For example, yeah, to do fog, to do total market estimations. So how big is the market of a certain of a certain procedure um, and so on? Um, so yeah, it, it, it's actually quite a long use case chain that is being served by an intelligence solution like that. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. That's uh, that's uh, that's quite interesting. Absolutely. Just generally, I mean, because you have, let's say, quite good uh, good experience in, let's say, collaborations between HCPs and uh, and the industry, do, do you see any kind of changes in the past or maybe anticipate even any kind of changes in terms of that kind of landscape with respect to, let's say, collaboration, especially in the U.S.? It's getting more tricky. Are physicians maybe getting more difficult to work with or is it maybe even the opposite? Well, what is your kind of feeling from the last years? Yeah, so I think the, the big question always is how do how do you get the attention of those busy doctors? I mean, it's like and it's getting harder and harder. And if you look at statistics, uh, just for I don't know sales reps' time spent with with providers, this average time is decreasing and decreasing. Yeah, I think just read a study recently where it's something like I, I don't know a provider when they talk to a sales rep on average they only spend three minutes with them. So it's quite. Quite a, quite a small amount of time where they where this sales rep actually has to be able to make his or her point and to position the innovation he's, he has in his back. Secondly, especially during COVID, um, uh, I mean, it was even harder to get access to to, to uh, physicians. It was harder for for sales associates to get into the hospitals and, and speak to them and so on. And that has, I think, caused a few. I mean, it, it has made things harder. Uh, I think it's gotten better over the course of the last two years again, um, but then it also has opened up further channels. So uh, engaging with healthcare providers through social media, for example, has increased in, in, in frequency. Uh, and we see customers having more success using those paths in, 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 re in recent times. Uh, that's, for example, one thing you can also do on our platform. You can see, I don't know, who's on Twitter, who's on Instagram, who's on who's on, uh, on LinkedIn and so on, and, and, and uh, use those channels to get in touch uh, with healthcare providers, but there is there is no silver bullet. It, it it was always hard, and it's always going to be hard to to get in touch with those um, uh, doctors. And uh, you have to be creative. And first of all, have a great product which sparks interest, and then find innovative ways in uh, in uh, to, to get in touch with those providers. 
Yeah, exactly. And I agree. I mean, what, what, what do you think about maybe kind of that's a stepwise approach to involve even the kind of broader audience of clinicians. I think with the top, let's say, key opinion leaders, I think that's the normal kind of way to go, right? But I think that's, uh, I think with them, it's maybe, I don't know whether it's really getting harder or more difficult or whether it was always because uh, everybody wants to obviously get them involved. But what about, I mean, if I started to early on, have the top guys involved uh, up front and then basically try to, let's say, involve even more. I mean, commercially, it's also difficult because obviously, let's say the, the revenues are just coming in when the product is on the market. And any kind of thoughts on that or maybe other kind of approaches companies could follow? I think what always, I mean, you always have to break into the first rooms. And as soon as you have some first cheerleaders uh, for your solution, uh, then I think a good way is always to follow those customers. Yeah. Um, so you could do stuff like you have the first, I don't know, first few surgeons who, who like your product. So check out where, what their alma mater is and try to target other providers who went to the same alma mater. Use testimonials for them. Yeah, Associate that with the alma mater. It has a much higher likelihood of those other providers also jumping on the, the train and having a look. Yeah, So I don't know, using basically breaking in and then following the network of those first, uh, uh, first uh, cheerleaders is, I think, always a good path uh, to, to distributing in. In, a, in, a, in an transparent and difficult to reach network, yeah, I think that's 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 it's always it's always going to be a, a hustle to get in, and especially I mean, startups, yeah, smaller companies, they can't rely on on a sales force like I don't know Johnson Johnson or I don't know other big medtech and pharma companies have, where they basically have a sales rep in every in every city uh, who walks into every hospital every other day. Uh, and they maybe only have, I don't know, at the beginning, a few sales people and marketing people. Uh, and the advice would be be targeted. Uh, don't waste your marketing and sales budgets on potential customers that don't convert. So um, uh, do your research, find out who's actually a good fit. Yeah, Try to pre-qualify before, before you start spending a lot of money. Find out uh, which providers might also already be blocked by your competitors. Yeah? So you can check out, I don't know, in the US, for example, you can use uh, data from the Sunshine Act to uh, to see who has been on, on a lot of dinners with your competitors already. So he's probably unlikely to cooperate with you yeah? and so on. So I think there can be a lot of efficiency be, uh, efficiency, uh, be gained if you if you just do your research and, and be targeted uh, in your approach. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that makes, again, a, a lot of sense. I mean, just out of your experience, I mean, just while you were speaking about uh, as well about Alma Mata, et cetera, I mean, obviously we know that people are moving from one state to the other, from one area to the other, but are there kind of generalizabilities around regions or states which maybe should firstly be, let's say, targeted, especially if I don't have maybe millions of dollars available for a big kind of marketing campaign. I mean, I know that some people are saying maybe focus a bit more, I don't know, on Massachusetts and California and wherever, or, or is it rather where you would say, uh, you know, US is big, it anyway depends, which is probably true, but are there any kind of general trends where you say those states should always be followed maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's as you said, it's hard to say, um, and it always depends on the perspective. If you're a European company jumping Jumping over to the US, it might be beneficial for you to start on the East Coast just because operationally it's easier. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, being in 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 hubs where there's 
where there are big cities with a lot of people, with big hospitals, a lot of procedures ultimately might make sense to, to have a lot of potential cases in the area where you start. But then I just recently followed with, with another company who was like for their therapeutic area, they were like, oh, the Midwest is actually the best uh, uh, area to start because competition is a bit lower there, for example, and so on. Um, and it also, I mean, in the US, it has to depend in, in, when it comes to reimbursement. Maybe you have, you have some first deals with insurances to get reimbursement first. Uh, and so on, then you might might want to go into an area where those insurances are quite dominant. I wouldn't want to answer that question generally, but it, it depends on, on who you are. And it's 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 basically you have to weigh in your operational expenses for the for the location you choose versus um, the amount of potential that is in, in this area. And it also depends on how you actually distribute. What do you own? Do you do you do marketing and sales completely in-house or on your own, hire your own salespeople? Or do you, I don't know, do marketing inside and maybe also inside sales, but then have outside sales outsourced to, to distributors uh, who already have contacts to, to uh, potential providers? Uh, and that, that opens a lot of opportunity, but also a whole set of new, new problems because then you have to take care about are those distributors actually rightly incentivized yeah, when they go out I mean, they, they usually have, I don't know, 10 products in their back. They go to a provider, only have those three minutes I talked about earlier. Which product are they going to pitch? Yeah, so it's it's like, it's an incentive problem. Are they going to the right providers or to the ones they actually already know? And so on. So it's, uh, all those things create a lot of opportunity, but also, pro but also not problems, but challenges. And you have to be, it's always good to have at least to be at par on, an, on a knowledge side about your target customers so that you can, create checks and balances for all strategies that you develop and, and, and ultimately implement. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we talked as well about the last couple of minutes, always about the pharma and or medtech and all of the kind of, let's say, potential approaches. What are the kind of key differences from your perspective when, let's say, commercialize a product, especially when thinking also about, again, the use or the utilization probably better of healthcare professionals in the US. Are, are there big differences or is it rather, let's say the approach is still quite similar. It's just another kind of product what the company has basically in their hands. You mean um, a different approach depending yeah. on the type of product or on the type yeah. of Europe versus US or type of no, product? No, I, I was more thinking about the, the different types of products. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, I mean, there's all, it, it, it even starts with the regulatory path. Yeah, do you have a completely new product or is it a 501k approval uh, where it's more like a, a Me Too product with, with slight improvements and so on? And it also depends on on, on high, how high volume the product is. Is it for rather rare diseases or is it, is it a volume product and so on? I think it's actually one of the hardest questions in the beginning to figure out how you set up your sales operations and how you how you um, get the steepest initial traction curve, which then probably unlocks more funding for more sales and marketing resources and so on. I'd always recommend just playing through all scenarios for your company and your product and really being diligent about that and definitely also talking to distributors about their experiences. Uh, that all, it definitely gives you feedback about your product because they are, I mean, ultimately a customer as well. So they decide if they want to spend resources or not. And that gives you great feedback about what other people think about the commercialization about of your product. Uh, but then also, um, uh, I think it's always good to at least own a little bit of your distribution yourself. 
because it just brings you closer to the customer and creates better feedback loop for what to improve not only in further product iterations down the road, but also uh, in, your, in your sales and marketing approach. And uh, and then you can iterate faster and, and control everything from the beginning. And you might, I don't know, work with further distributors later on in the future. So I think, yeah, I think actually the hybrid model uh, in the beginning can be quite efficient mm -hmm. where you some of the sales and market sales yourself, but then also work with distributors maybe in more rural areas or in areas you can't cover in the beginning. And then you can cross-pollinate from both experience from the ones you're doing yourself and the ones you're getting from the distributors and and uh, A B test your your way to to a most efficient setup. Got you, got you. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean you, you also just mentioned beforehand uh, the difference between Europe and the US. Anything important to share from that perspective as well? I, I'm actually not a big expert on, on Europe, so uh, you pro probably have to, to weigh in a little bit as well. But what we definitely see, uh, what's definitely different is just the the reimbursement market and also the willingness to spend um, uh, in the US healthcare market. And um, that, of course, also creates a lot of competition. Yeah? Um, but at the same time, uh, if you have a superior product at a uh, which delivers uh, a higher patient value at the, at the same or lower price, um, then uh, you can definitely unlock a lot of, uh, of resources over in the US. And also when it comes to funding, uh, if, you're, if you're growing further and further, at some point, medical device companies usually also have to go over the Atlantic and talk to American investors who just often have bigger pockets to then fund the further um, uh, growth of a company. Yeah, I agree. Agree. I think one of the things would would I generally would say I think U.S. or well, let's say generally the U.S. market is probably even more open for innovation. I don't know whether you share that, but I, I would generally say I think that's probably true for patients, for physicians, but also for payers in general. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. That's also my perception. At least the the feedback I also get from our customers. Yeah, especially the exactly. ones, especially the European customers who are. Who are uh, uh, commercializing in the U.S. Yeah, it's exactly. Also, I'm, I'm just recently, I'm not an expert in that field, but I'm recently hearing quite a lot that, for example, Swiss companies uh, actually go through the FDA approval process first because before they go through their domestic ones because it seems to be faster at the moment, uh, which mm. uh, uh, which I found quite uh, interesting. So, um, yeah, there's, there, there are different paths of actually entering the U.S. market. Uh, it doesn't have to be the yeah. second market. Sometimes it can also be the first market, even though you're located in, in Europe. Exactly. And, um, and you're more, maybe you can say, say a few words about your perspective on that, but I think that's also a, a, a period where you need to be really diligent. Where do you, in which country do you actually go first and, uh, and, and where do you go second? And how do you do that? Um, yeah. No, 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 I, I fully agree. I mean, I think important is probably as well what you said early on, right? I mean, yes, the U.S. is the biggest market. With all of this, let's say, possible or let's say opportunities, but also the kind of pitfalls, right? I mean, obviously, if you want to focus on the U.S., you need to have a very good and thorough kind of planning and obviously as well the budget and the resources to really then, let's say, serve the market, right? Also from a marketing perspective, I think. I mean, we have also seen, let's say, clients with, I think, a really good product but they weren't really that commercially successful because I think the U.S. market was probably just too big for them and yeah. they haven't really planned appropriately. So that's, again, I think what we as well said probably in the last couple of minutes, whereas in, in Europe, on the other hand, you have most of the times, especially the kind of issues with, let's say, different and sometimes even very difficult reimbursement processes. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can also discuss about prices, right? If those are appropriate or not, I mean, that's maybe a small debatable, but 
I think it, in general, I think, yeah, it, it probably depends. I mean, where to best go. I, and I agree, it doesn't necessarily need to be always, let's say, A or different markets in Europe, even that you are maybe firstly and primarily located out of Europe, you could also, let's say, firstly target the US. But I, at the end of the day, independent, you need a very thorough planning and then need to as well execute the plan appropriately. Exactly, exactly. No, I agree. Last question, probably. If you would let's say, speak to a company in Europe, startup or not startup, doesn't really matter. And they would ask you for the three key recommendations in order to be commercially successful in the US. What would those be from your perspective? So I think, um, I think as the market is so different, it requires to have some local partners who know mm-hmm. the market really well uh, right from the beginning um, and, and, and team up with them um, and get someone really experienced in at an early stage when you actually go over. And that, that's just important to don't make any really costly mistakes because everything in the US in the healthcare market, whatever you do, it costs a lot of money. Um, so uh, avoiding mistakes is, is just super critical, especially if, if you have limited resources as, as a startup company, for example. Uh, so get experienced people in that market on board and then really do market research. Yeah? Look at data, segment your market, be uh, precise about who you want to target first, who you want to target second, what your sales pitch is, and 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 then start in a small nucleus, as you mentioned earlier, maybe find one territory, one area, uh, let's say, I mean, you might start in Florida in a certain area, and then try to get some first early adapters, um, win them as, as cheerleaders for your product, win them that they commit to, to maybe uh, promoting your product, and then going step-by-step step further out. Um, so this, this would be my key recommendations. Uh, and don't try to win the whole mar- the whole US on day one. Yeah? So go step-by-step, step, have small wins, use those small wins to convince further people and then have a kind of roll-up effect uh, as you go through the market. Yeah, I think that's uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I think especially maybe the last kind of point, don't, don't have probably the big US directly upfront in your mind when thinking about co- being commercially successful, probably really plan it step-by-step. Step. I think that makes I think, a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no, perfect. Uh, Paul, thanks a lot for your time, for your insights. I think uh, that was really great. I think a lot of what I learned as well. And uh, yeah, obviously all the best as well for you and the company in the future and hope to talk to you soon. Stefan, it was great uh, being on the pod and have a great day. Thanks. Thank you. So another great episode on our Market Access podcast, at least from my perspective, and today probably with a slightly different focus. I mean, we're speaking always, let's say, about reimbursement, market access, etc. And of course, we always have, let's say, commercial success in our minds. But ultimately, not only in the US, but everywhere in every different kind of healthcare market, the healthcare professionals, the clinicians, the prescribers, are key in order to bring innovation then to the patients. Not only that, in a lot of countries and also in some of the regions and states in the US, obviously healthcare providers are very important in order to get into discussion with payers. Payers want to understand if and what the product can really deliver, what kind of patient impact it could have, and also to understand the results of a clinical trial for their local or regional kind of environment. So having said that, it is important, obviously in the US, but also in other areas of the world, to have healthcare professionals early on involved. 
think we have discussed about a couple of different things, and sometimes it might even make sense, make sense to probably have clinicians and payers in the same discussions, maybe in the same room, for example, through advisory boards, even in the early stages. Understanding how a clinical study should look like, how a product should be developed, with which kind of features, but also, let's say, and of course, with which kind of features what payers are looking for. Not only patient physicians, but then also the payers. We have really discussed a lot today, but I just thought maybe bring that as well into perspectives in the last words of the podcast. So ultimately, if you want and need further kind of insights on the US market, I think Alpha Sophia is a really great tool and could be used greatly in conjunction with our artificial intelligence platform, Max Insights, which gives you the insights into the payer world. With Max Insights, our artificial intelligence tool and platform for the payer planning. So it's a great, nice kind of collaboration and uh, please reach out if you need anything further. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.